0: Oh
3: look! I already did my workout hair. Oh, my sporty spice ponytail. Because it's the weekend, bitches. It's yes. happy hour, and come on! Can I say this is a double, a double boom?
0: Yeah. Happy
3: hour. Yeah. Hello, Attorney General Eric Holder. Oh.
1: What? What?
3: What? Uh, Doctor Wendy Walsh. What? I, right we've been trying to get on forever yep. but we settled on uh, your highness i could i didn't know what i was i was so nervous i wasn't sure the honorific i was like mr attorney general your excellency highness he appreciated the your highness yes i believe he wanted to go with your highness ultimately yes. but uh, it was you know kind of people don't come slumming like that around here no nope. yeah it's, okay anyway he named dropped left and right yep. merrick garland known right. him for years yep. whatever but okay. Um, a lot of great stuff to say. Mm-hmm. Dr. Wendy Walsh is helping me deal with my... Uh, I am just a fuck stack of anger. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what's, a, what's a fuck I, stack? I don't know. It's like I feel like I'm ready to blow every day because of anti, you know, anti-vaxxers mm-hmm. and right affecting my loved ones. Mm-hmm. Right? That I'm just... I, I don't know whether it's affecting me from the inside, the outside. It's eating me alive. Yeah. She's gonna blow! Right. So Dr. Wendy Walsh, not only fantastic... Great KFI radio show, yeah. uh, "Mating Matters." Her, I, right?
1: That's her podcast. Yes, her, her podcast. But also, yeah.
3: also she was one of the original Bill O'Reilly uh, yes. uh, accusers, yep. and you know was one of the Time Magazine People of the Year for being you know uh, blowing the whistle on sexual harassment at Fox News. It's fascinating. Let's just get to it. What the fuck? Why won't I shut my pie hole? Shut up. So we can hear. Shut up, ladies. Do it. Happy hour. Yes, I'm in the caucus. Going. Shut up. So your guests can talk. Don't say a word. <laughs> Call the show something else. Happy happy hour. I don't even know the honorific. Is it Your Excellency? Is it a <laughs> General? General. <laughs> oh. All right. I'm fine. Just uh, settle. Stomach settle. 82nd attorney general of the United States, the third longest serving attorney general in United States history, the first African-American to hold that office. Um, Good morning, Attorney General Eric Holder.
1: Hey Stephanie, how are you? And you know, you can call me Eric. Uh, trust me, I've been called a lot worse than that. So
3: uh, <laughs> fair. So I've heard. I, no, I cannot call you Eric, Your Excellency. Uh, <laughs> I don't know a how I got this booking, and b let's <laughs> let's just dive right in. Um, thank you so much, first of all, for all the work you're doing. Because I, I keep saying, I, I, nothing else matters if we don't have the, if we lose the right to vote, and you are doing. Such amazing work, you know both when you were attorney general and since then um, talk to us you know specifically about what you 're doing because it 's not just the for the People act right it is right. we have an attack on on voting rights the the upcoming redistricting fight. talk to us about everything you 're doing
1: sure there is a multi prong attack on our democracy i mean that's that's that 's the headline and um, the the core of this attack on our democracy uh, is an attack on the right to vote, whether it is these Suppression bills being passed in a variety of states, whether it's gerrymandering that I've really been focusing on since 2017, racial and partisan um, gerrymandering, or the influence of dark money um, that has really had a negative impact on um, the ability of people, the people of this country, to determine the policy direction of the nation. Um, this is, you know, I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm not being alarmist. Um, this is a moment in history where we have to stand up for what we say this government what we say this nation um, is all about uh, you know i've often said that i think you know we we learn from history and if we look back at the past century we saw that authoritarian and, and fascist regimes rose not because they were strong but because democracy was weak or that the defense of democracy was inadequate this is our moment to stand up for democracy
3: um Now, unlike when you're on Rachel Maddow and she says, did I get anything wrong in that opening segment? And everybody says, no, you're going to go, yes, you got everything wrong, Stephanie. But (laughs) let me just ask you, because a lot of us don't understand, you know, the difference between the voting, you know, the attacks on voting rights and redistricting, gerrymandering, what all that works. I know we have apportionment underway. So there's obviously, you know, you're at the front of, you know, fighting for fair maps. What does all that mean? Because I, I... I sometimes, um, Your Excellency, Attorney, <laughs> Mister S- uh, General, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I feel like, you know, Democrats disarm, you know, like I, I because we do want generally yeah. fairness, where Republicans right. will obviously go to any lengths, will go any lengths to cheat to win, and I it, it feels like I've heard about gerrymandering in general that in some places Democrats have just said, oh no, we're going to leave it up to a fair, nonpartisan. <laughs> Republicans aren't fighting the same way on gerrymandering, are they? Can you explain
1: that to us? Yeah, they're not fighting the same way. I mean, just kind of some basic stuff. I mean, we do the census every 10 years. After the the census, a year or or so after, we then redraw the legislative lines for state legislatures as well as the United States House of Representatives. And what the Republicans did in 2011 Uh, Princeton University did a study and said it was the worst gerrymandering of the past half century. And that essentially means that you create these safe districts so that Republicans simply cannot be beat. You can turn out huge numbers of Democrats, but because of the way in which the lines are are drawn, Republicans are in these, um, these safe seats, which means that they're not concerned about a general election. They're concerned about a primary challenge. And that drives them further and further to the right. And you end up with uh, legislatures, both at the state level and the United States House of Representatives, that do things that are inconsistent with the desires of the people that these folks are supposed to um, supposed to represent. And so, yeah, you're right. You know, people ask me, well, "What is gerrymandering?" Bottom line, gerrymandering is cheating, and they have indicated that as Republicans have said in their own words, they want this is their term they want to secure a decade of power. And they want to do so by suppressing the vote, but also by redrawing the lines in such a way that they assure themselves general election victories. And the notion that, you know, Democrats are disarming by fighting for fairness, I think it is just doesn't quite get at it. Because the reality is, if the process is fair, Democrats and progressives will do just fine. We are actually fighting for in fighting for fairness. We're fighting for a, a, a process that will lead to an increased number of Democrats progressives at the state level, as well as in the United States House of Representatives. We don't have to gerrymander. I mean, that really is the bottom line. We don't have to gerrymander. Now, and when they do, we've got to be extremely forceful and fight them in the courts uh, in every other way that we possibly can to make sure that their gerrymandering attempts are not successful. Well...
3: And I know that's what because some of them have come right out and said it, right? Gerrymandering is going to help us win, you know. No, you know, in twenty twenty two, just automatically. I think Ronnie yep. what Ronnie Jackson has said that. So talk to us right. about. I know you had waited just hours after the Census Bureau re- released uh, new apportionment figures to file the first lawsuits of this this uh, decades redistricting process. Correct a preview. Uh, it's it's they say it's going to be the most litigated remap in American history. So it, right, t- talk to us about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in t- I'm be, let's be honest here. You know, in, in 2011, um, Republicans had a thing called Project Red Map, and they focused on redistricting, and they maintained their power as a result of that effort in 2011 throughout the course of this decade. Um, you know, 2012, the first time of the elections after that, um, that, that unbelievable gerrymandering effort, Democrats got over 1.2 million more votes for the United States House of Representatives than Republicans did and had a 33 seat deficit even though we had a million more votes and so what we're bound and determined to do uh, we have filed lawsuits already in Pennsylvania Minnesota and Louisiana because we see divided government there we know there's going to be an impasse we know that the Republicans are going to try to do all kinds of things in those states we've filed suits in North Carolina we have filed suits in in Virginia um, we have stood for uh, keeping people in place like Tony Evers, the governor in Wisconsin, um, Tom Wolfe in Pennsylvania. So we have governors who will be in a position to veto um, the bad maps that these Republicans are going to try to put in place. We have a multi-pronged strategy where we support candidates who will support um, a fair redistricting process. We bring litigation where that is possible. And then we also galvanize um, the people to stand for uh, a fair process. And among the things that we have stood for are, as what you've indicated, the, the creation of these nonpartisan commissions. We now have them in Michigan, Colorado, um, Utah. If we have those things, though these these fair measures in place, Democrats will do fine. I mean, you look at what happened in North Carolina after our lawsuit. We went from a 10-3 map to an 8-5 map, 10-3 to favoring Republicans to one that now favors um, Republicans 8-5. to They're now saying they want to draw a map with their additional seat that will go back to 10-4. to You know, so this is the nature of the mindset that we are, are facing, but our multi-pronged strategy has proven to be um, successful. But, boy, we need, we need the For the People Act.
3: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I that's that's what I was going to ask you about. Is it just it seems like we can't get to any of these other issues we care about if, if we don't have. Uh, I mean, this is based on the former president's delusions, as far as I can tell. These these bills in what is it, 48 states mm-hmm. now, these voter right, suppression right. bills.
1: So, yep, what, what yep. Is you, yeah, go ahead. No, but you know what? There we're kind of giving the Republicans a pass. Yeah, a lot of this stuff is based on the big lie uh, of Donald Trump from the November election and the way in which the Republicans have protected it, adhered to it. And I would also tell your listeners, you know, the big lie is not a phrase that we just coined over the course of the last couple of months. Look up who used the big lie and what they did with the big lie in in the last century. Um, And so, you know, Republicans have been talking about voter fraud and the need to have these voter suppression techniques related to this non-existent voter fraud, the Brennan Center has said you're more likely to hit, be hit by lightning than to actually cast an in-person fraudulent ballot. And so they've used the lie of of, of voter uh, voter fraud to come up with these suppression measures over the course of these last few decades. It's not just since you know the last couple of months; they've been doing this for decades, abetted by a Supreme Court that is at least ideological in nature and potentially even partisan in nature that has essentially given them, you know, free reign to do that which they want to do. And so, again, we've got to be prepared um, to fight them in every way that, uh, you know, that we possibly can.
3: Do you, What are your hopes for a carve-out for voting rights? I mean, for, for any of these voting bills.
1: Yeah. well, I mean, one thing I can say is that, you know, I've been in touch with people at the highest levels at the uh, the White House, uh, the highest levels in, in in Congress. And there's there's more going on, I think, than people um, ha- than has been shared. And that's fine, that's fine. Yeah. Um, my hope is that there will be um, a carve out. We can't, at, at some point, it's gonna come down to a binary choice. Are you for an arcane Senate process or procedure that has been used to throttle progressive measures over the course of the last hundred years or so? Or do you stand for our democracy? And my hope would be that the senators who have the the power, the capacity, um, to put us on the path to having a more fair union, will make the right uh, will make the right choice. Because here's yeah. the deal: we as Democrats have the power right now to pass the For the People Act. Yeah. We've got 50 votes. We've got Kamala Harris. We and we've got already a, a good bill coming out of the House of Representatives. If in 2022 we go to the people and we say we are unable to pass these democracy-protecting measures, that's not a good recipe. That's not a good recipe for the kind of success that we're going to need to maintain control of the House and of the the Senate.
3: Yep. Now Attorney General Excellency
1: sir. Um
3: <laughs> speaking I, I of think, you being definitely, called
1: Stephanie, I think your highness would be okay. There you you go. Go yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Your highness if, if you want to go with an honorific let's do it let's deal with that.
3: Your highness excellence um speaking of you being calling other names and been you know honestly the target of partisan vindictive nothing burgers I I, I know you know on our side there's been a lot of trepidation whether actual justice will be done for the actual multitude of crimes committed by Trump and his associates. So are you heartened, as I am, by these recent moves at the DOJ between the the Barrick indictment, Mo Brooks, uh, uh, them not defending him, uh, Rudy Giuliani, um, you you know, testimony in January 6th. Are you heartened by the direction of the Justice Department right now?
1: Yeah, I am. I mean, I've known Merrick Garland for, you know, maybe 25 years Uh, I've known Lisa Monaco, uh, Vinita Gupta, you know, Kristen Clark, all the people who are running the Justice Department now. Um, These are good um, people. Uh, I I hope that they will stay on the bent that they're on now, which is to be aggressive. You know, this is not the transition from a Republican administration to a Democratic one, and you're kind of reluctant to look back and challenge policy determinations. There was law-breaking that was done. There was norm-breaking that was done by this prior administration. That cannot stand. I mean, I got a lot of grief when I decided to look back at the Republican administration that preceded me and looked at, you know, the torture, the the use of torture um, in in the fight against terror. I got a lot of grief for that, but it was the right thing to do. My hope would be that Merrick and the folks who surround him will understand that what they tried to do, what the Republicans tried to do, was to subvert our democracy. And that is simply not a policy choice. That goes to, you know, threatening the institution, the republic itself. And as a result, you've got to be aggressive, and you've got to prosecute, you've got to investigate. Um, I think they've had a good week uh, in in that regard, and my hope would be that what they've done this week will, will carry on in the weeks to come.
3: Yeah, Finally, because this is just the breaking latest, uh, Justice Department warned states about unusual Trump-inspired audits. I've been wondering about this forever, how any of this is legal. Um, Trump-supporting politicians in states around the country consider conducting conspiratorily quote-unquote, audits of the 2020 election returns. The Justice Department warned yesterday federal law requires states to maintain possession of or direct supervision over election records that some states are handing over to ill-prepared contractors. The DOJ interprets the Civil Rights Act to require that covered elections records be retained either physically by election officials themselves or under their direct administration uh, supervision this has been my question your excellence is what what <laughs> how is this legal what they're allowing to happen in arizona where now they everybody has to replace all their election equipment mm-hmm. it, it, it's how are you allowed to take elections actual ballots to some i don't know cabin in montana literally
1: yeah yeah I think again you know that that letter that that warning letter um is, is an appropriate first step because the reality is you know, the conducting of these fraudits, and that's exactly what they are fraudits. you know it's interesting in Arizona you're going to do this thing but you only look at the place where you see the greatest number of democrats well wait a minute what about going, if you're going to do an audit why don't you do it statewide but how about let's not do it at all given the fact that all of these things have been reviewed certified uh and no one found any degree of uh, any degree of, of fraud. So I think, yeah, the, this letter, uh, this warning is a good first step. But then it's got to be followed up. And to the extent that you see replicated what happened in Arizona, you know, in in, in other states, the Justice Department's got to look in its quiver and figure out what arrows that it has, filing, you know, civil suits, bringing regulatory action to stop them from doing that, which puts at risk. Um, you know, the integrity of the process, not only in the minds of the American people, but also physically. I mean, because what you just said is really important. You know, you turn over these machines, and now you've seen in Pennsylvania, I guess Arizona, they're going to have to spend taxpayer money to replace these machines yeah. that these idiots in, 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 in Arizona, you know, uh, have, been, have had access to uh, and as a result have potentially um, contaminated. Yeah. And so for any number of reasons, uh, we have got to stop stop this nonsense. This is all to try to satisfy, you know, the latest version of the big lie has absolutely no basis in fact. Yeah. And we've got to be extremely aggressive and be uno- and you know, be unafraid. Yeah, the, the republic is going to say, oh, you're politicizing this stuff. I was going to say a bad one. B.S. You know, we're not politicizing anything. All we're doing is standing for democracy and for a fair system. You guys are the ones who are afraid of the voters. They don't think they can win in fair elections and so they're going to do whatever they can to hold on to the power that they've illegitimately got
3: i could have really used the publicity if you would use the whole word your (laughs) Your highness but uh i will (laughs) but please come back let's do this again i'll be less nervous i swear your excellency
1: I thought we agreed it was going to be your highness. Your highness. My, All my, right, my we'll t- stick with your highness. Yeah, there goes that the, one. My 80. mother, my mother always in Queens, New York. My mother always said I was a prince, you know. So I, you know, I, you know, that, I thought that was kind of where we'd go. You are the official
3: prince of the Stephanie Miller show. There you go. Eighty-second Attorney General yes. of the United States, Eric Holder. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. All right. Time. Thanks, Stephanie, for having me. All right. Take well, care. Thank you. Bye, bye. Wow. <laughs> Come on. That's, That's cool.
1: Awesome. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I feel extra snorty. Oh, you're yeah. gonna save that and play that back over and over and over again. Yeah, spank aren't you? bank in the spank bank. Okay. Uh-huh. I didn't know what I was literally like, I'm not sure I've had anyone of this stature. I'm like, I don't attorney t- at least a former president. Right. Know, we've had Carter on and what right. we know to say Mr. President. Yeah. But I was like, What are you Mr. Attorney General, and sir Excellency? <laughs>
1: and the most impressive thing is he took the ball and ran with it. Yes him. he did. He
2: um,
0: did.
3: Well, do you ever catch yourself thinking when you're looking in the mirror, "Ugh, oh. I wish those under-eye bags would just go away. You're not alone. Bags and puffiness under the eyes are a problem for millions of American men and women. Until now, introducing the new Genucel Serum with plant stem cell technology from Chamonix. Susan from New Jersey wrote me, I've been using Genucel for a couple of months. The puffiness around my eyes is gone. Even the crow's feet and small lines have disappeared and haven't come back. I love this product. I use it under my eyes, around my cheekbones, and on my eyelids. With its instant effects, Chamonix says you'll see results in the first 12 hours or your money back. I love it. I use the entire line of products. It is my Favorite skincare I've ever used. Um they guarantee it though. Results in the first twelve hours are your money back. Order now, get fifty percent off all genusel packages for summer. Go to lovegenusell.com slash stephanie. That's love genuce dot slash stephanie. Lovegenusel.com stephanie. I use it every single day. I get so many compliments. Check it out. Lovegenusell.com slash Stephanie. Let me explain this love story. Okay. Okay. I'm at Lisa Bloom's party. Possibly tall, beautiful blonde woman. Traipses in. And then I was like, who is that? Oh, it's Dr. Wendy Wall. She's straight and she's with her boyfriend. And then that's when the music, the music died. <laughs> <laughs>
1: However,
3: if you recall, first of all, we were on KFI together, that's right. I believe. Yep. KFI Radio. She has a fantastically successful radio show. Uh, the Dr. Wendy Wall Show on uh, uh, KFI. Mm-hmm. iHeart I Media has her wildly popular podcast mating matters fantastic author of three books one of time magazine's persons of the year in 2017 after speaking out about harassment at fox news she currently teaches in the psychology department at california state university and uh just in time for bill o'reilly's tour dr wendy walsh (laughs) (laughs) i'm so glad we finally did this because this was two lisa bloom parties ago we tried to do this and then COVID hit and LA traffic our lives
2: just got put on hold for a year and a half
3: yeah and now they're back in yeah. a new
2: way like I love this having to just do everything from home it's great yeah I know
3: it's for for those of us that were shut-ins that I'm like oh this is fantastic I'm gonna yeah be even more of a homebody oh so, incidentally
2: I am quarantined right now literally uh I don't know if you can see the bedroom door right there that behind that door don't, is don't my,
3: tease us, Wendy Walsh. Don't
2: is my eighteen-year-old daughter who has COVID. Oh wow! But we're all fully vaccinated. But these are these breakthrough mm-hmm. cases. Oh
3: mm-hmm.
2: wow! Right. So we're all quarantined here now. I oh. tested negative, but still, I've been exposed to her, so I'm hanging can, out at home.
3: Can we talk first about that as a psycho? I mean, in terms of psychology, doc. I mean, isn't this like not just PTSD? But, but to feel like we're going back in the woods after World War II, that it's like they're just saying mask mandates again nationwide, yeah. that, that we may be going back into lockdown. What is this doing to people psychologically? I, I didn't have far to go to crazy, doctor.
2: Well, the good news is this, like we are seeing fewer hospitalizations and fewer deaths, but that doesn't mean no deaths. Right. Mm. So even one death is too many. Yeah. and that's yeah. why as a community and you know i'm originally canadian so i'm a little bit of a collectivist culture person like that yeah. what's good for the masses is good for the individual so therefore we should all wear our masks for a while and yeah. but the, the anxiety is less remember stephanie at the beginning if you were out walking mm-hmm. you were 20 feet from the next person mm-hmm. and putting your mask on and now we're like okay it's outside we should be okay and and we were afraid to even step inside a restaurant but now we understand that masks work.
3: Yeah. Okay. But doctor, what do you do if anger is eating you from the inside out about people that are not vaccinated and are putting your loved ones like my mother and my best friends at risk, right?
2: Well, the research shows that bombarding them with information does not work, right? Right. Because then you're just stuck in the prefrontal cortex arguing and arguing. But if you can appeal to what their fears are, collude with their fears, and then come in a back door. So, in other words, you might say something like, um, "I can understand how scary this must be." You know, so if you were to get vaccinated, you would have to be a really brave person because I know how much you're afraid of it, right? So, we're talking about keying oh, into oh, that's you, too, Chris, Chris. You're all about
3: coddling people that aren't vaccinated.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> you know, I've also used the scarcity thing. Yeah. I called a friend and I'm like, "So, you know, all my relatives in Canada that have been waiting for vaccines." There have so many vaccines now because they're taking them from the U.S. Mm-hmm. because nobody's getting
3: them. So you better get yours quicker. We're going to run out here. Or dirty gonna dirty be- foreigners are going to take them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, my best friend's in Australia. She's also a psychologist, and she's, you know, she said they can't, you can't get, they have a real scarcity. I mean, people are dying all over the world for something here that we're going, oh, I don't want it. I don't, it's just, I. okay, let's talk about, okay, so obviously Bill O'Reilly has just announced this tour with Donald Trump. I don't know if they're going to add Bill Cosby, but it's what do, what do people like you? What do people like you? Does it trigger you? I hate to use the psychological buzzword, yeah. But when you so because you were famously one of the first um, people that were brave enough. Lisa Bloom was your lawyer, obviously our our mutual good friend. Uh, you came out and and spoke about. But first of all, talk about. Yours was a little different. You felt your romantic snubbing of Bill O'Reilly cost you your paid job at Fox News. Because you were on, I remember you hosted Extra, and then you were everywhere. You were on CNN and O'Reilly Factor. So tell us what happened, because this was really just, yeah.
2: In a nutshell, I was a regular guest on the O'Reilly Factor. And one day I got an email from an employee at Fox saying that Mr. O'Reilly would be coming to Los Angeles and would I have dinner with him. This was all very business. And as you know, in our business, it's very common to sort of try people out as guests and then get them on as a paid contributor. Uh, So I regarded it as a business dinner. I brought my own car, met at the restaurant. Um, The uh, employee at Fox said he was staying at the Bel Air Hotel. And I said, oh, well they have a good Wolfgang Puck restaurant there. We should eat there, it's easy. And um, within the first five minutes, I didn't have to ask him about being brought on as a paid contributor. He told me Roger Ailes, the then CEO, was his best friend and they'd like to offer me a job as a paid contributor. So it was great and i'll be honest the rest of the dinner was very professional you do things like adults do you talked about things like how many kids you have how old are your kids uh, your early days at fox etc your career stuff um it was only at the end of the dinner he simply said the words let's get out of here and i actually thought maybe he meant to go to the bar to continue talking about my career at fox so when we passed the hostess stand at the bel-air hotel i turned left towards the bar he turned right to what i now know are the bedrooms mm. so right. it was awkward we were walking away from each other for a bit and then i kind of again thinking well he's from out of town he must not know sure that's <laughs> so <it. laughs>
3: yeah bad sense of direction yeah <laughs> i
2: literally did a like uh, well I, I think the bar is this way and by that point he had turned and caught up with me again he's six foot seven
3: mm-hmm.
2: he bumped me on the shoulder and in a very different voice said no come back to my suite
3: thank hey.
2: Ew. And I was a woman of a certain age. And I've been through this a million times. And you know what I thought, ugh, another one. Here we go. Mm. So I just said, oh, I'm sorry, Bill, I can't do that. You know, women, we like to apologize for ourselves. Yes, of course we do. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do that. And he goes, what? Do you think I'm going to attack you? And I, said, I yes. quickly thought quickly about our conversation at dinner. And I said, you know, Bill, we're both raising female, or we're both raising teenage daughters why don't we model some good choices for them Ooh. well at that moment he didn't want to be thinking about his teenage daughter right. uh but he grumpily went to the bar with me i ordered a glass of water he complained about the price of soda water and expensive hotels i offered to pay he looked at my purse said it was an ugly bag basically oh. I called uber and left and um <sighs> wow. the next time when it was my time to do the show i was basically iced out wow. so i knew this and i literally when i say didn't care i I felt very sad and it hurt a lot. Yeah. And for some reason, when women are sexually harassed, we accidentally feel shame because patriarchy somehow told us that it was our fault. Yeah. And well, I sort of didn't want to tell anybody because I was so embarrassed about it all. Yeah. Um, and then a number of years later, a sleuth of a detective, New York Times reporter, Emily Steele, who won the Pulitzer Prize for this article, yeah. called me and basically said, You know, I noticed you used to be on the show and then you disappeared. You want to tell me what happened? And I just said, well, because I wouldn't go back to his hotel room. Then came the four months of her trying to convince me to go on record Mm. as the face of the story, because Fox has systematically silenced Sure. a good dozen women sure. before I came along. I never had a complaint. He just, you know, his
3: lawyers just silenced Andrea Macris. She, he, they got her bumped off the view. I mean, hopefully she'll be able to go back on, but she's decided to say the heck with the NDA. And, uh, you know, but he was able to get lawyers to ha- make the her. view not have her on. So Yeah, no, they sent
2: me a pretty scary lawyer letter, which our friend uh, Lisa Bloom sent immediately to, these were his personal lawyers who sent me like a doom and gloom. Literally the last line was, you shall be forewarned. I'm like, what are you, Darth Vader? So (laughs) he takes that letter and sends it to Fox attorneys and says, oh, this is how your employee continues to threaten and harass his victims. You better tell him to knock it off or we'll use this in court.
3: Yeah. Um, Can I just say you're so smart? I just wonder if that's ever worked on any sexual harasser. Let's model some good choices for our daughters.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> discussing
3: that and slowing down at all. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, I was in the 2000s, you raised uh, two daughters and then you went, got a midlife PhD in clinical psychology and returned. Oh. Right. And that's when you came back. You've had, well, it was interesting. This uh, 60 Minutes piece just aired. And you were saying to us off air here, the reason why you didn't go back to his room when you were, what age you were then is because you were, you tell the story, this guy that they just I, profiled I on learned, 60 Minutes.
2: I learned from the worst. You know, I was a little Canadian teenager in Toronto and was spotted by a you know, a modeling scout. And with stars in our eyes, my mother dropped me off at a modeling agency in Paris uh, with a lecherous head of modeling agent who went on to become head of a e- elite worldwide for years. Uh, a friend of Jeffrey Epstein, by the way, oh boy. Uh, who liked to finance these. Jeffrey Epstein liked to invest in modeling agencies around the world so he could get access, oh. access to teenagers, right? He would set up fake photo shoots on his islands. And I mean, he would have photographers there and all that, but that got the teenagers there. So um, this guy, sadly, who held my mother's hand in a cafe and said, don't worry, I'll take care of your sweet little daughter. Um, You know, it's been many years and I've told the story, so I've kind of worked through it all in therapy, but um, he raped me anally when I was a teenager. Mm. And today there are 12 women led by the model carrie remember remember yeah sure uh and she had written about it in her biography in 2013 and went on a press tour and nobody asked her about this uh nobody cared back then yeah and so we have about 12 women uh all over the world from australia to europe to um the different places in america and canada um who are now trying to get this guy prosecuted yeah yeah he lives in spain now but they're doing place
3: I know you're thinking, stop using psychological buzzwords on me, but <laughs> in terms of triggering, what does it feel like when you see the president? First of all, the Trump even became president when how many women had, you know, credible accusations, including E.G. and Carroll? I mean, does it make you? Fl- how does this? I mean, I know you're a certain age now that's a psychologist. And as you said, you've been through all this. But when you see a Bill Cosby go free or you see Donald Trump so far get away with this, does it? How does it make you feel? Or what do you I mean? Well, I'm an optimist, Stephanie, and
2: I really believe we are marching towards patriarchy, uh, sorry, matriarchy, and we are taking down the patriarchy. And the way to take down the patriarchy are a few leaps forward and a few steps back. Yeah. And I think our mission hasn't changed. We have to very comfortably, men and women, talk about the fact that we are feminists. We have to talk, it, what it is doing is allowing the conversation to continue. Every time something happens, we're able to bring it up again. Like even I do a lot of public speaking pre-COVID and you know, a lot of women don't even understand the difference between quid pro quo sexual harassment, toxic environment, sexual harassment and sexual assault. These are three distinct legal differences, right? And so you can be in a workplace where It's just a lot of locker room talk or you're kind of sexualized and people are like, why are you wearing that today? Look at your butt or whatever. And that can be a sexually toxic environment. That's one form. Quid pro quo is like Bill O'Reilly. Come back to my hotel room if you want to stay on the show. Mm -hmm. Right. You do this. I'll do that. But then sexual assault is something different. So when I was doing a lot of media around the Fox News thing, male journalists would say, I mean, he didn't actually touch you, right? He didn't do anything inappropriate. And I said, you know, it's really inappropriate to ruin a woman's career. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I wanna say that I wasn't ready to go on record for the New York Times, but it was some male editors at the New York Times who presented me with some mathematics that I hadn't been aware of. They said, when he denied you that contributor position that he offered you, we did some research and we found that the average uh, wage of a Fox contributor is about $200,000 a year. Oh. The average length of time they stay is about five years. Wow! Almost every contributor gets a book. These books usually become New York Times bestseller. Yeah. So basically, when he barred you from taking the job he had offered you, he basically took a million dollars out of your baby's food budget. Yep. Yeah. Right?
3: yeah oh my when god when you think of it in math yeah you're like oh yeah. now i get it i never got paid to be a contributor the minute i asked i was never heard from again and this no is, one no one sexually harassed me or asked me out i got nothing true. out of this it this is true jody and i did not have the option to be shipped to a modeling agency in paris <laughs> when we were we were hefty little children with unibrows growing up
0: i can't imagine but
3: that. <laughs> dr wendy walsh fantastic radio show on kfi the uh podcast is a mating matters mm-hmm. the more important question can you find someone just like you except gay for me <laughs> bisexuals fine
0: well
2: i will say this stephanie that yeah, you, i don't think this is a surprise to you that uh, sexual orientation is fluid and across a lifespan postmenopausal women are most likely to uh, start to behave. Are you
3: saying way. that boyfriend you were with last Saturday might
2: be?
0: <laughs> oh, stop it,
3: Stephanie.
2: <laughs> I'm <laughs> saying you never know. You got to keep your options open. <laughs>
3: oh, yay. All right, Dr. Wendy Walsh, thanks so much. Please come back. This was fantastic. I'm sorry this took so long <laughs> to get together, but thank you I so know, much. I know, but we did it. Yes, yeah, we we did, did it. Love you. Thank you. Talk I'll to you soon. Care. There bye she bye. goes. Bye. The impossibly beautiful Dr. Wendy Walsh. That's my life. That's my life, Jody. I'm like, who is that woman? Why? Oh, that's her boyfriend. Was a little glimmer of hope at the end there,
0: wasn't Mm it? There was. Oh.
3: Okay. Never know. All right, midlife fluidity. She
0: shot that down, though.
3: No, I think I think she planted the seed, is what Uh, she did. We we heard that differently. I think we. She (laughs) she brought up fluidity Uh in later life.
1: Okay.